Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women's Day Podcast, a look back at some of the show's highlights this week. We have been asking book versus Kindle or other digital device this afternoon. Uh, somebody's texted to say, well, book every time for me and I can't wait to read yours, Angela Roberts. Uh, love from Mark Carney's wife and Kurt Michael. <laughs> Uh, lots of There's thoughts been on lots of thoughts on Facebook about this. Yeah, Zoe says, I love a proper book. You can't beat it, but I do have a Kindle and love that too. You can't beat a Kindle for taking tomes on your travels, but at home, it's old school for me. I love a proper book. Re- I have a reading nook and I immerse myself in mystery, mad capri, murder and mayhem. Good alliteration. Uh, it may be digital or print. Who cares as long as it gets a people reading? Jessica says, always books. I get through two a week. Civic amenity site, charity shops plus local bookshops for a lovely new treat and Joanne says, don't get the chance to read as much as I'd like these days, but I enjoy that I can always have a book with me if I have my iPad and the bookmark doesn't fall out. Also, I do like the feel of a proper book too. I do find it funny, however, reading in bed and falling asleep, trying to swipe the pages of a book or trying to turn my iPad. (laughs) I just don't get it. I don't get the digital thing. I just think, yeah, it's useful, but it's just not like proper reading. Hmm. I think a lot of people are obviously going to disagree with you there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but um, interesting hearing how many books, was it Jessica that said uh, yeah, she got two through? Yeah, two a week. Two a week. Reiki Bennett, how many have you read this year, do you reckon? I was trying to work it out and I, uh, I use good, Goodreads to keep track of how many I've read. I think it's uh, just over 60 at the moment. <gasps> do you ever um, do anything else? Um, <laughs> I... I no, <laughs> I don't. I I cut a lot of other things out. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't go out as much as I probably should. I don't like exercise or anything. So there's plenty of time. You just you know, I, I've 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 had to cut down on my on some of my reading time because my husband wouldn't wouldn't let me read at stoplights, and when oh, when the traffic lights turn red, those things are red for a long time. You know, you can get a few half a page in red. red. No, no, no. He's told me I'm not allowed to do that anymore. I'm glad uh, you didn't bring a book in with you this afternoon. That could have been quite interesting. I, I don't know. I oh, got no, brought Angela's book in. <laughs> you have to have at least, and I brought my Kindle as well, you know, so I have my backup books just in case. Uh, some final thoughts on that, Christy? Uh, yeah, Ruth says, love a real book, but Kindle comes on holiday with me to save paying the excess baggage. <laughs> Jade agrees with that and says, uh, but then also says, nothing can ever compare to a real book, especially the book smell when you bury your nose in the pages. And Emma from Litfest says, real books every time. Reading is a tactile experience, so much more than just the words on the page, which I agree because if you keep hold of your books afterwards, put them on the shelves and it's part of your identity, isn't it? You walk into a room, you've got the books out there, beautiful covers and it's part of who you are. The Manx Lit Fest starts on Tuesday, September the 27th. It's going to bring together readers, authors, poets and illustrators from around the British Isles once again for a colourful celebration of the written world. Word, word, that word. (laughs) So it's obviously quite difficult to say. Uh, So we want to know this afternoon, when it comes to reading, are you fully digital or do you still prefer to leave through the pages of a real book, Christy? Um, I'm kind of, I I did try the digital thing. I got myself a Kindle when it came out and it was quite useful at the time because I was about to embark on quite a long journey, uh, travelling wise as opposed to, you know, in a metaphoric sense. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I took it with me and it was very useful. But then I've just sort of put it away again because I just keep returning to real books. I love the feel of them. I love the smell of them. I love sort of leafing through them. I love the artwork. Yeah, I keep returning to real ones. I haven't got a Kindle at all. I understand um, how useful they can be in terms of having loads of books on them so you don't need to cart them all around with you but I just can't get my head around having it on a screen and not in a proper yeah. book. 
Anyway, let us know what you think on this one, wonderful six, wonderful seven, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. We've had lots of comments on this on the Women Today Facebook page. Uh, also today, we hear from a group of creatives on a mission to challenge, inspire, and transform the lives of vulnerable people by using the arts. And these projects are about improving the confidence and self-esteem of the participants they work with, improving their communication, their social skills, reducing that risk of reoffending. And if you knew that the name you really wanted to give your baby was going to make people say, oh, that's unusual, <laughs> probably in that tone of voice, <laughs> would you still go with it? Let us know on that one, particularly if you have decided to give your child an unusual name. And there are some quite um, out there, shall we call them names, aren't there, Christy? There are, yeah. I, I was looking some up this morning, you know, doing research like a good little girl. And uh, in the UK last year, there were people registered with the names Gaza, Gandalf and Arsenal. That's nice, isn't it? Not oh. really. <laughs> well, yeah, let us know what you think on that one as well. One double six, one double seven. You can email studio at manxradio.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, so I did mention that the Manx Lit Fest starts next Tuesday, September the 27th. And for anyone who's passionate about reading, it is a must-do event. And there are so many things happening. We'll be hearing about some of them a little bit later. But just imagine what it'd be like to be a budding author, to go to a LitVest event where you were able to pitch your novel to a publishing company and then be offered a publishing contract. Well, it can and it does happen and it's happened to one of our studio guests today. Even though, Angela Roberts, you hadn't actually finished the book, had you? I hadn't, no. no. And if you were completely honest, <laughs> how many chapters had you written? Okay, um, maybe about one and a half, perhaps, at now, the time. That's even less than you actually admitted to in the email. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> okay. Did I say three? Yeah, yes, did, yeah. yeah. I think it probably amounted to about three and a half thousand words that I'd done. Um, so, yeah, it was a little bit cheeky. I wouldn't usually have actually pitched at that stage, but because I'd pitched to the guy before and... Um, John from Litfest said, "Oh, actually, he really—I know he really liked what you did last time. I think you should just go and pitch." So I thought, "Oh, okay, then I'll go and give it a go." And obviously, I'm really glad that I did that. Now, <laughs> it must have been incredible when they said, "Actually, we want to give you a contract." It was unbelievable—an unbelievable moment. Um, obviously, it was—it was a little while before that happened because I had to go away and finish it. Um, and in the meantime, I was really hoping that he would actually remember me and remember that he did like it when I'd. Um, pitched it to him but luckily he did yes and uh, yeah the rest is history as they say it's um yeah absolutely brilliant what does the um, pitching process actually involve? Do you just sort of hand over the written words that you've got um, and they read it? Or? Yeah, you do. Uh, it might just help if I kind of explain a bit what the, the processes of, of actually becoming published in the first place. So um, very briefly, you finish your novel um, then ideally you get a literary agent that would take that on for you. The literary agent would then go and pitch that for you to a publisher um, who will then do everything that they need to do to get that book into the shops. Um, but it sounds simple, but actually we had um, an agent that came over to talk to us at LitFest. Um, I don't know if it was the year before last, I think. And she was explaining to us that a typical agency gets about 300 unsolicited manuscripts a week. So that's like 1,200 a month. If you work that out over a year, it's about 14,500 manuscripts a year. And out of those, um, out of that total, they may take on between one and three new writers. So you realise that you're really, really up against it. So... The fact that LitFest, they give you this opportunity to actually go and pitch your work um, to an agent or a publisher or both sometimes, um, it's, it's just absolutely brilliant because they'll sit down with you, you send your work off in advance and then they will sit down. You only get about 10 minutes with them, but they'll go through and they'll tell you what they do like about it. But actually, more importantly, they tell you mm -hmm. what they don't like about it, what's wrong with it. And then that gives you the opportunity then to go away and fix it before you can then um, 
send it out to agents that will have a look at it. So it's priceless, really. Incredible opportunity. So when did you start writing, Angela? Um, I started writing when, probably when my children uh, were young, actually, and I just started off just writing short stories. Um, and then I came across there was a short story competition in the local newspaper, which I thought I would enter. And that was the first time I'd actually put any of my work out there. It was a little bit scary, actually. And um, I actually won that competition, which was, um, you know, a big surprise to me. But it really gave me the confidence to carry on. And I thought, actually, maybe maybe there is something. Maybe I can do this. So, yeah, started off with short stories and then kind of just developed into novels. And how would you describe your style? Um, I would describe it as it, it's very... Um, laid back there's quite a lot of comedy in my writing um i try to put quite a lot of humor in there and i the the writers that i kind of i suppose aspire to are people like the late sue townsend i just absolutely loved her work um maybe marion keys um who else people like john o'farrell um, nick hornby those kind of writers so if, if I could be half as good as them, then I would be happy. Oh, brilliant. Well, we are going to be uh, finding out more about your novel, which is going to be launched at the uh, Manx Lit Fest a little bit later. Yes. Um, I just want to reveal also, though, to the listeners that you have a bit of a thing for the Governor of the Bank of England when he's on the news. I can't believe I actually said that in my questionnaire. <laughs> yeah, just... why did I actually admit that in public? I'm not That's sure. That's just really crazy, isn't it? Uh, do you just count down the days to interest rate decision day in your calendar? <laughs> yeah, I got it. Kind of, he comes on the news at 10, you kind of, yeah, you kind of would think he could he could tell you that they were we were dropping the pound and we're going to introduce bananas as currency and you would just look at him and think oh okay yeah i believe that because he's he's just such a nice guy am i the only one that thinks that anybody else no i have to admit i've not seen him like that before no No. (laughs) gonna be honest you probably are the only one but okay okay um but we are also joined today by fellow author reiki bennett who was born in devon learned to walk in paris toddled in cornwall went to school in cumbria and moved over here as a sulky teenager and never quite managed to leave yes that's that kind of sums it up yes (laughs) and it would also be quite fair to say i think reiki that um, you like books i do (laughs) i might have mentioned that in uh, uh, at some point uh yes i am uh quite fond of books I ended up coming on to the Lit Fest committee because I essentially went to the first festival and made such a nuisance of myself by hanging around and turning up to all the events and bought so many books I could not actually carry them all home. (laughs) My son was uh, about two months old at the time, so I had him under one arm and all of my books under the other. And uh, eventually I just kept hanging around until they gave me a place on the committee and said, look, you'll do do less damage from this side of the table. You may as well be on our side. And yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it, it was just, uh, it's just fantastic. Uh, I've been helping organize the festival for, um, this is our fifth year. So I think I've been, in, I think I've, I've definitely been in for three years. It might be four, I've kind of lost count. Um, but yes, it's been absolutely fantastic. And uh, just to, to, to meet all the authors and to go into the schools especially is fantastic. We put authors out around all the local schools uh, to talk to the kids. And the family day is always really uh, popular as well. And it's just something wonderful to share with the whole island as well. And this, and this year it's especially great because we've got Angela, who's our our, uh, our first success story. I hope there'll be more of them. Uh, but we, so, so we've seen her from, from pitch to publication 
uh, all the way and every step of it. So it's uh, it's uh, just a really it's really great that she's uh, come along to launch her book at the at the festival. This I like year. the uh, alliteration there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can recognise all these literary techniques. Here. <laughs> Eighteen minutes past two, and this weekend saw the huge success once again. That was the Isle of Man Food and Drink Festival in association with Manx Radio. Bigger, better than ever. It really did showcase the the best that the island has to offer when it comes to produce. And I'm sure um, that if you were there, you would have been introduced to some things you didn't even know were made over here. Um, Anyway, there was also a tent where some demonstrations (laughs) took place. And for some reason, I found myself in there, along with Joe Pack, in a ready, steady cook competition against a celebrity farmer, Gareth Wynne-Jones. Now, it was compared by Dot Tilbury, sporting a bowl of fruit in her head and an ex-Mary Berry jacket. As it turned out, I I won't go into details, but Joe defected from our team, so my husband had to (laughs) abandon our three children to come to my rescue. But don't worry about that, Joe. Here's how we got on. Joe, we're here at the Ironman Food and Drink Festival. Unfortunately, it's slightly drizzly at the moment, um, but we've got a bit of a challenge coming up. Are you nervous? Yeah, do you know, I wasn't nervous until like about five minutes ago when I realised that we were actually doing it, but I am really excited at the same time because, I mean, I know you can cook really well. (laughs) Yeah, okay, maybe that's telling fibs. I can cook really well if I've got a recipe. Have we got a recipe to follow? Um, No recipe. However, I have been given a sneak little kind of tip about what may be in. I have, I have, I have what's in, and I may have sneaked a few things in my bag with me this, this afternoon <laughs> as well but we are going to be against um, Gareth Wynne-Jones um, Hello. Hello, the celebrity sexy farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Not the chef. Is that how we have to introduce you? You can introduce me whatever way you like, but um, yeah. It's... Um, so we've got a bit of a challenge coming up against you later, Gareth. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'd like to win, if that's okay. You can try. No cheating. I've been told from quite a few sources I've got to watch my back, my bottom, and my front. I'm going to need eyes everywhere with you two. So I'm. I'm oh, I don't know about that. I Do you know don't what? think we'd cheat, would we, Beth? <laughs> cheat me. We'll win. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Right, yeah, okay, who yeah. dares wins? Don't forget, girls, I'm a hill farmer that survived 350 years in the same place. So I know a bit about farming. And I'm cooking. now scared. <laughs> red pepper, green tomato, wasn't it? Or is it green pepper, red tomato? That ready, steady cook thing. <laughs> Can I tell you something now? I've never seen ready, steady cook. Oh, that's a good. Start. Oh, that's embarrassing. That's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> is Nor it great? I. <laughs> Must be our age. We're a lot younger, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how we get on. Okay. Yeah. So we're uh, just getting ready to go on. Joe, feeling confident? feeling quite confident because now I've seen the ingredients I'm alright actually I mean there's mints in there and anyone can cook something with mints can't they Beth yeah great yeah yeah you can stop cackling <laughs> there's a leak there as well and you've got a Welshman so just beware ladies oh. okay so it's all over and <coughs> we won no. sorry we oh. won oh, yay yeah. we won yeah yeah you didn't. So I swapped no. teams. Yeah, you swapped teams. So that doesn't really count, does it? Yeah, it does because I still won. No, I won. You, you swapped teams. I won. Really count. I won. Hey, did you like the bit when I was throwing chilies though into Do the pan? Do you like the bit where I threw a piece of garlic? And it actually right went down my top. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was good. Yeah. yeah. Tony, a, how yes. did we do? You did absolutely brilliantly. A bit of cheating going on, mm. but Andrew's it was fantastic. Part. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes, Beth, you didn't <coughs> cheat at all. The children Hello. Yes. Those poor children the lost poor their apples. Yeah, what, what was with the X Factor thing at the end, having to get the votes from apples because you had the children and, you know, all of that? That's just wrong. Do you know what? You just 
high and fly on the back of his coattails and it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Do you know what? I'm off to Wales. Very competitive is our best. I'm fine. I can tell. I'm actually She's a really good loser. She's just got that <laughs> smile on where she's going. I'm I wish, fine. I'm I wish fine. I wish this was TV and not radio because the people could see your face now. She and also what is. she cooked. Yeah. No, yeah. do you know what though? Ours actually tasted nice. The presentation, I'll grant you, left a little to be desired. Yeah. Didn't someone in the audience say it tasted different? Yeah. Was it different? What was it that could be a good thing. It was what did you cook? It was purple pie. Surprise. Purple pie. It was a surprise. <laughs> then I'm the purple pie. Have a nice trip back to Wales, Gareth. Bye. Yes. <laughs> what on earth is a purple pie surprise, Beth? Well, I tell you what happened, right? We got some sweet potatoes. They were purple inside. Oh. Who knew? I thought it was going to be orange. So, yeah, it, it looked... Somebody suggested maybe it looked a bit womb-like. But do you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. and you know, But it tasted okay. It did taste okay. We are finding out about bibliotherapy this afternoon. It's a way of forming friendships, creating opportunities for people to get together and essentially have conversations about books. And our guests are Sandra Henderson, who runs the Mobile Library, and Janet Bridal, who is the project coordinator for the Hub in Port Erin. Um, Sandra, I just want to talk briefly, first of all, about the Mobile Library, a hugely important service for people around the island who are immobile, ill, or just can't get out for whatever reason it's been going since the 1960s hasn't yes, it, it has. how did it all get started it started from it was based in douglas originally i think there was just a public library there and then the mobile side was obviously they realized they needed to cover the rural areas as well so they they ha- used to have boxes of books delivered to town halls and places like that and then to have people there running the library from a box basically and then obviously it progressed into having a mobile on wheels that could go to all these areas and then moving out into the rural areas out and where they couldn't get anywhere near to the towns. So and how many vehicles do you have now? We've got three vehicles at the moment. Um, one huge is the seven and a half ton one, and that's the big one that you see going around. Then we've got, a sort of, we call it mini mobile, is in between size. And then we've got the new one, which we're running the baby therapy from, which is the Lottery Trust have funded that one. And how do you make sure that you've got the books people are going to want to read? That comes to the knowledge base, so that was actually knowing the customers, which is the best part of the job when you get to meet people, find out what they read and what they like, and then you choose the books accordingly. Um, but we have such a vast stock behind us that we've inherited from the rural library when it was a static library. Um, so we have 39,000 books that we can draw on as well. Wow, so something to choose from. And you say you're never without a book to read, so really yeah. a dream job? Absolutely, yes. Was this? I'm interested. Yesterday we were talking about um, books versus tablet readers, and whether or not you know it stopped a lot of people from reading books. Have you noticed an impact since the likes of the Kindle and, and things have come out? Not really. What happened initially, I think, is it was a new, another new gadget to try, and lots of people were buying them and trying them. And what we're finding now is people still like reading books. They physically like to hold a book, like to turn the pages, like the feel of it. So that we'll never lose those readers. But they do like the thing to use the e-book readers to take away on holiday because with the luggage allowance and everything else, now it's so much easier to take it that way. So you can still read your book whichever way you do it. And I think people that read books will always read them. And what about you? Do you prefer the good old-fashioned book or are you OK with e-readers? Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a book person. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've had a text from Alison, actually, who says, um, book versus Kindle. It took my husband a year to convince me to try Kindle. Now I rarely read a book. So some people do make that transition. Interestingly, Alex Brinley was saying yesterday that he never used to read at all. He got a Kindle and now he's started reading books. It's a way around to do it, yeah. yeah. So then, bibliotherapy, Sandra, how does it work? How does it work? We take 
a collection of books that we've chosen. It can be a topic or it can just be a, a general selection of lots of different things. We can take books on Isle of Man in the past, um, travelling, wherever you've been, your holidays. We, we instigate the discussion, so we take some books. We can either go out of the library or we can hold one in the library itself. And then we invite groups of people to come. And we're, trying, we're aiming it at people that are lonely at home or don't have many friends and need to socialise, want, want to try something different. And they come in and we start the discussions and then they take over, really, because it just goes off at tangents. As you can imagine, it goes from, starts off in one thing. We did one yesterday and started off with talking about Cunningham's camp. Um, and then we talk about the internees in Hutchinson Square. And then we ended up finding out there's a famous pianist there because one of the ladies remembered seeing him and it was just absolutely fantastic. So how often are you holding these sessions? We're doing a couple a week if we can. It depends with our timetable as well. We're trying to fit them in, but we're, we're going out. Um, one of the homes is doing it regularly now. They've had such a good rapport from it. They brought a whole a full minibus yesterday, whereas it was just two, a few, you know, a couple of months ago. So it's really taking off. It's absolutely great. And in terms of how people can get involved then, I mean, you, you mentioned one of the homes there, do they just contact you? They contact you? us. We work out when they want us to go there and if it fits in with our schedule, we, we can get to them and then we'll trial it and see how it goes and hopefully we'll be able to do them regularly. That's the plan. And I'm wondering about people who might not be natural readers. I mean, some people struggle with it. From what you're saying, it doesn't preclude people like that. No, it's not actually about the reading. Exclude, read. even. Exclude. I knew, yes. It's not <coughs> the reading, that's the thing. We're not actually taking books to sit there and read out of a book when you get there. We're actually just discussing what's in the book. And it's mostly pictures with subheadings. So you're not actually doing It's not like a book club where you have to read a story and then comment on it the following week. We're just asking you to look at the books that are there at, at that moment. So you do not have to read. And some people don't even read anything they just look at and then they start talking because they actually like talking rather than reading so you'll end up with people listening to conversation and then they join in on it and say oh yeah I remember that I did this and did you do this because that's the thing books can provoke such strong emotions in people all sorts of things yes it's quite amazing I'll be honest Sandra when I saw the word bibliotherapy I got quite excited I love self-help books you see I am a bit of a self-help addict. Oh, we can provide those for you too. That's what that was going to be about. Um, Janet, I mean, clearly this is something which is a huge uh, interest to the hub and that that sense of bringing people together and dealing with the the very real and serious issue of social isolation. Oh, yes, definitely. And anything that can bring people together um, is a a bonus. And what I loved about the bibliotherapy is that business, it's not like a book club, you know, book club. You sort of, you have to turn yourself, well, I found how to turn yourself into a mini sort of book critic. And, um, you know, oh, yes, the uh, dialogue in this bit was very good. Eek. No, it's, that's what's so great about bibliotherapy. It's, you know, it's just books and provoking conversation. And, and it's what happened in our session is that Sandra came along. She, with her box of books, set them out. People picked them up, you know, not quite knowing what they're supposed to do and looking at each other. And then, you know, Sandra says, oh, look, you know, this one is about, you know, holidays on the Isle of Man in the past. And that was it. The conversation just soared and it, it just went off and that was that. So, and at the end of it, and we had cake as well. Oh, and tea, <laughs> cakes, I think cake's quite important. And, um, you know, everybody... Well, they carried on and on, didn't they? And yes, they were, we're still talking at the end of it. You know, and then well past the time, mm. you know. 
So it was. And yes. people made friends. We actually overheard two ladies talking about arranging another event that they would. I'll give you a lift to that if you like, because I'll be going as well. So you can make up friendships out of it, which is another thing, another part of it. We're hoping that people will carry on after we've left. You know. Sandra, you were saying that one of the things you really love about your job is is meeting the people, and I guess just seeing the difference that this makes is just incredible. Absolutely. I mean, we've had the people with from the the home that came. They've actually commented afterwards. Um, the organisers and the people that run the home have said that person that usually just sits very quietly and doesn't say a word, and that's the first time I've heard her talk about something and really get involved in it. And that that is what it's all about. What an incredible project. Where did it originate from, do we know? It's, yes, it started in Kirklees in England. That was a librarian there started doing this sort of thing. And then she's promoted it and pushed it and been doing courses on it for other people. Lots of libraries have taken it up now. And we've been following it thinking this would be a fantastic. And it really, it's like an extension of what we do anyway when we're on the library because we get to know people and you hear different things that they talk about. And you think, wow, they've got some fantastic lives if you could just spend more time with them. And I think this is what this is all about. It's getting those people together and they can do that. And just before we meet our studio guests, you might remember that Pam Crow joined us on the show on Friday to tell us about Sophia Crane. She's the mother of Emmeline Pankhurst. Uh, Sophia was from here in the Isle of Man. Well, the friends of Pankhurst got in touch with Pam after the show. Pam is now with us on the phone. And Pam, what did they say? Well, they seem to quite like um, the idea of laying a wreath to... Um, really encourage women to get out and vote. So we thought we'd better do it fairly quickly. So we're doing it this afternoon. And the message is Sophia Crane and her daughters um, fought very hard for us women to have the vote. And so on Thursday, don't waste it. Make sure you vote. Make sure you vote. And that's the whole point of it, really. But it is nice to commemorate this lady, Sophia Jane Crane, who was born in Lonnon and the mother of such a a famous, um, named as one of the 100 most important women in the world. I think that is uh, something to be proud of. So we'll be quite proud when we're laying a little wreath. And I I actually found a purple and white jacket and a green scarf. So I'll be dressed the part. Oh, wonderful, Pam. So this is happening um, at Braddon. Is it open to anyone? Yes, of course. Of course it is. This, this, I'm hoping you'll be able to speak to Lynn later. And she's going to tell you all about what their plans are. They know far more about it than me. But I know they're trying at the moment to establish a charity. Um, so she'll keep you well informed about what she's going to do to commemorate um, Sophia Jane Crane. OK, front row. We're going to jog from Crane to the end Lisa, first of all, tell me, when did you get into Taekwondo? Oh, um, about 14 years ago when I started with my young daughter and um, yeah, decided to just drop her off, but it didn't work like that. I ended up staying and that was how I got into it. So yeah, uh, once I got to Black Belt, realised that that wasn't the end like I thought and yeah, coaching was definitely a really good thing to do. So give back what we'd learnt, yeah. 
So there are a number of different martial arts. I'm not very well versed in any of them. So if you could just explain to me what Taekwondo actually is. Uh, Taekwondo is, uh, the word Taekwondo is the art of hand and foot. So it is lots of self-defense moves uh, put into patterns, which is called Pumse, uh, which is what we compete in. And then there's the Karugi, which is the fighting side of it. Majority of that is kicking. Um, so there's two sides of it, plus self-defense and some ball breaking, which is, is always good fun. And you do all of that, do you? Well, yeah, maybe not so much the board breaking these days. We leave that to the younger ones. Now, Lisa, I get the impression that this, the martial arts in general, but perhaps Taekwondo too, has an impact on perhaps uh, you as a person with regards to focus and finding a sort of inner calm in a way. Yeah, uh, I probably wasn't the most confident person uh, years and years ago. And uh, yeah, definitely, definitely found that I'm a lot more confident. I, I haven't competed for about a year since I last competed with Jay in the Commonwealth. But I found that instead of being absolutely terrified by it, it really builds the adrenaline and I can't wait to get on there which is totally different for me and I got asked uh, to do the TEDx talk uh, last October, uh, last November I didn't ever think that I'd be able to do something like that I think just being able to tell people about Taekwondo was probably what what drove me to be able to have the courage to do that so it has made a massive difference and it does build confidence in the children um, and changes their attitude they're not hanging around the streets they're here they're doing something think worthwhile so it's good keeping them fit yeah and there's exciting times ahead for you guys uh yes yes um hannah has just tried on all her kit and got extremely excited <laughs> hannah tell me what is actually going to be happening then um well we're going to peru to compete in the world championships for Pumse, which is very exciting <laughs> how are you feeling about it a bit nervous but definitely excited like it's not often you get to go to Peru, is it? <laughs> it suddenly feels like it's all happening now. All, all our kits have arrived and they're all ready and everything's now booked. So, um, yeah, we have a, a couple more big training sessions uh, and then these uh, daily evening sessions. Uh, and then, yeah, we fly on the 25th. So uh, we're looking forward to it. We'll, we'll meet Katie at Heathrow because she's still in London. We'll all fly off together. So it's exciting. This is the biggest team having three competitors um, and it is a huge honour to be able to do it for the Isle of Man instead of having to be part of Great Britain team um, because uh, we're part of the World Taekwondo Federation instead of the British Taekwondo um, so yeah we can do it in our own right as the Isle of Man. So if people are listening to this and think I really want to have a go with that how can they get in touch with you? Uh, yep, yeah, they can go on to uh, the Isle of Man Taekwondo website um, or they can look up uh, Manx Tigers on Facebook or they can find me on Facebook. club is Timwall Tigers in St John's. There are Southern Manx Tigers in Down South and this one is Manx Tigers in Douglas. So uh, they should be able to, to find out the numbers from the Isle of Man Taekwondo Association webpage. Brilliant. One last question, Hannah. How dangerous is it? It can be dangerous, but it's, it's worth it. Any injuries? I think I've broken a finger once, but you know. <laughs> this is all the very best, guys. It's been great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, keep us posted. Let us know how you get on. So this is the National C Citizen Service, and they've commissioned a report that is being published today where 
We spoke to 1,015 to 17 year olds, 1,000 parents of 15 to 17 year olds, and we also spoke to business leaders. And we were kind of curious to look at the, the sort of work life balance, if you like, amongst young people who are at that stage of life, sort of GCSEs and A-levels, where they're under increasing pressure to do well, to take exams. And what we found is that over three quarters of 15 to 17 year olds believe that studying hard for good exam results is obviously their biggest priority for the coming year, which is great, but they said alongside this, they were anxious to do well and some of them so anxious that they're prepared to sacrifice friendships, family time, hobbies and even sleep to achieve this. So it's almost as if they sort of they're going to put the rest of their life on hold in order to get good exam results. And this is something that is concerning because obviously this could have an impact not just on their exam results, but on themselves in terms of their sort of mental health and well-being. And, you know, it is very concerning hearing that. But at the same time, I remember, you know, when I was going through this <coughs> decades ago and uh, and I, I remember feeling quite similar. Is, is this really a new thing? Is this not something that, that teenagers have been through for, for a few years now? I think it's always there because obviously these are big public exams and they're the sort of gateway to the next stage in your life. But the parents we spoke to, two thirds of them said that they really felt that their kids were under greater pressure to do well in their exams than they remember. And certainly for me as a clinician uh, working in child and adolescent mental health services, we're seeing significantly greater numbers of children and young people coming in with um, school related um, stress and anxiety um, to, to, to the degree that for some of them it can cause mental health problems. And I think, you know, we have got an education system that's built around targets and testing. There's a huge amount of pressure, a huge kind of focus on passing exams and getting good grades. And none of this is a bad thing. But actually, when you sort of then look at the at businesses and we talk to business leaders, 67% of them said to us that they thought that younger employees coming into the workplace were lacking some of the necessary skills um, that, that, that they needed um, and these are skills that in, in effect they might be sacrificing the development of because they are just so focused on learning and passing exams. Now when you say skills you don't mean sort of practical skills are we talking about things like communication and social skills here? Yeah, this, exactly. The sort of skills you need to apply knowledge, time management, team working, relationships, communication skills, um, conflict resolution skills, the sorts of things you learn by having a life, basically. And I think when we see that young people are, are, are sort of saying a number of them are saying, I'm going to put my life on hold because I have to get good grades. I think what a business leaders are saying is that's not OK, because by doing that, you're not going to then present yourself as a fully rounded person who not only has the IQ, the sort of intellectual ability, but also has the EQ, the emotional intelligence and the skills that come with that to apply your knowledge in a way that will make you a really a sort of valued and successful part of our workforce. I think what we help, have to help them understand is actually finding a balance. They will do better if they sleep, if they socialise, if they have time away from study, where memories can be laid down, where they can have other experiences to um, sort of apply their knowledge in different ways. That is that is success. Success isn't just about isolating yourself and sort of not sleeping enough and, and poring over your books to such a degree that all you're doing is teaching yourself to pass exams, but you're not actually preparing yourself for, for life. And we mentioned parents before and how they seem to be having difficulty understanding how to communicate with their children over this issue. What sort of advice would you give to parents? 
Well, I think every child is different. So it's about knowing your child and, and really understanding, you know, what the, the issue is. Is it is it performance anxiety? Is it stress because they are burnt out, because they're not, you know, they're not working hard enough? Or is it because they don't know how to plan how to work, so they leave it all to the last minute and then get completely overwhelmed and then they don't sleep? You know, are there sleep issues? And certainly we see with, with, with the engagement with the digital world and social media, whether it's young lads gaming until the early hours of the morning or young women having alerts on their phones all the time so they don't miss anything throughout, you know, throughout the night. You know, if something's happened in their social media channel, they need to know what's going on. You know, so how to ensure that they sleep well, broken sleep, enough sleep. These are really important issues to focus on. And I've written a, a guide, a sort of tips guide, if you like, for parents just to, to, to help them think about this and how they can kick off these conversations. And um, that can be found at the National Citizen Service website, which is ncsyes.co.uk. We now know how the next House of Keys is going to look following the general election, which in the early hours of this morning revealed there would be 12 new faces. I think it's the biggest turnover in the House since the mid-1970s. There were some headlines along the way in one particular constituency, Arbury, Castletown and Maloo. Tim Glover was there for Manx Radio. A lot of new candidates coming in. They're going to have to, with the uh, times that we're in, uh, pick up the gauntlet pretty quickly, I think. It's good to see, and I'm not just saying it because I'm on women today, but we've got five women now in the House of Keys because there was quite a bit of publicity, wasn't there, across about uh, how it was so male-dominated and it really was the Isle of Man. Well, we shall uh, see the next few days unfold with interest, I'm sure. But you did mention five women in the House of Keys. Long debates about uh, women in the House of Keys and whether we should be actively encouraging more women to stand or whether actually they just need to be there because they want to be there. They're not standing because they can't. They're just don't want to um you know we don't want to go down the road of quotas etc um but it is a positive move and, and the most women that the house of keys has ever had in it is and i think uh, you're going to be talking i think to one very shortly but uh, she stood already and uh, got pretty close last time as well and uh, got a pretty positive reaction i think to a campaign last time so that will have encouraged her uh, claire betterson to uh, to go again and, and others have come in and uh, certainly one of the more vocal members of the uh, House of Keys and Tim will last time, uh, albeit an opposition voice, was, of course, Kate Beecroft. So Topping the poll again, They can yep. see that there is a woman there who is prepared to set the example and be an active voice within Tim Wold. People might not uh, that have stood now as uh, the women candidates agreed with all, all that she said all the time, but maybe it has acted as a spur for them to think, well, hang on, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring here. Uh, just very finally, Tim, Liberal Vannin um, really yep. did very well. Three candidates after uh, one of them declared yesterday that he was no longer a member of the party, uh, but three candidates for Liberal Didn't Lib that Van. happen last time? Yeah, mm, yes, well, he, I think that was after he got it in. It was after he got um, in. But uh, three stood, three got in. Yes. Yeah, that's again, you know, Kate Beecroft has to take some credit, I think, there. Tim Glover, thank you very much. You mentioned Claire Betterson, and uh, we are joined on the line now by uh, a rather weary Claire Betterson, I imagine. Claire, how are you feeling? Yeah, it's uh, it's sinking in slowly but surely. <laughs> um, certainly very tired. <laughs> Yes, you sound a little bit uh, a little bit tired. But now, um, as Tim was saying, the work starts. You go to um, Keys on Tuesday. You're going to be sworn in, start the induction uh, of finding out exactly what is involved in this new role. Um, where do you start in terms of fulfilling all those pledges that you made in your manifesto? I think that uh, absolutely key. I mean, I've actually already 
already started sitting down and you know, putting together the casework and the things that I've I've drawn from people when I've been out on the doorsteps during the campaign. Um, so I've already started getting myself in order for, for going actually into the Keys, as you say, on Tuesday when we'll be sworn in. But certainly for me, it's getting hold of the other people who've been elected and really looking at how we work together for the future of the Isle of Man and our own constituencies. But we really need to be working together. The time has come. People wanted change. They felt that wasn't happening. They felt everyone had their own agendas. And there's just no space for ego and personal agenda in Timwold. And I think we have to move forward and ex- you know, accept that what the you know, people are saying is what we've been saying during the campaigns. So that, for me, is key, is just forming those um, you know, links with people and seeing how we, how we best move forward to work together. Now, Claire, it's interesting when, when you were interviewed after your success, and congratulations, by the way. Um, it, when you were interviewed, you were talking about, obviously, as we were just saying, you know, there are now five women. Um, it's it's a, a huge um, um, increase from previous years. But as you were saying yourself, you know, you'd rather think that people voted for you because of who you are as an individual and what you were standing for than yeah. as a woman, just simply because of your gender. Absolutely. I mean, I've said this from the beginning. I recognise we need more women in the Keys. We need more representation to be, you know, broadly more representative of of our island. And that's not just with women, that's with younger people. And we've seen that. We've got some of the people who've been elected, you know, who are are younger now. um, And we can join those who were already on the younger scale who are in the Keys. So we've got a much nicer mix, both in gender, both in age. And I think that's a really positive thing. But absolutely, it has to be because, you know, we're the right candidates and we're the people that, uh, you know, people they can really feel that they uh, they recognize want the same things that they do and i just feel i've come across so many people on the doorsteps who are so enthusiastic both you know men and women women often feel like they're sort of pushed out and it's it's, it's quite a threatening environment and i know that kate beecroft and brenda cannell have both touched on this in the past when they've talked about the negative side of politics and i think as a woman that can be quite threatening some of the things you come across on social media some of the criticisms you get from the paper um, and from some of the journalists on the isle of man i think when you're looking at going into it it's not like a normal job, you know. I think we all know that. Um, but you, you're constantly being sort of scrutinised, not just by your actions, but by everything you do. And I think that that is something that puts people off. I suppose at the end of the day as well, though, we do also have to celebrate who we are um, as a gender, whether male or female, don't we? Because there are also those differences that we have. We have different perspectives. We have a different approach when it comes to communication. And that can't be a bad thing to have more of a balance, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. It changes the dynamic. You know, I think men and women have different perspectives. They come at things from different angles. And anything that, you know, increases our outlook and how we go about things has got to be a positive. And actually what I loved was that in Douglas East, people had a really true choice. They could have voted one woman, two women, or no women. So it was entirely the public's choice. They really had the opportunity to, you know, stamp their cross, and they had a lot of candidates, but they had the diversity as well. Um, and that only happened in a couple of areas across the island. I think that we do still have work to do. As I said yesterday, we had 13 out of 63 candidates were women, and I think we need to go further. And you know, our, our aim has to be get to get more women, more younger people on the ballot paper, so that people really feel they have a true choice. I've seen it time and again on Facebook in the last few days. People saying, you know, in our area, we only had three candidates, four candidates. People did still didn't feel there was that choice. Whereas Douglas East, that certainly isn't a a criticism that could be levelled because we had eight candidates and we had a very broad field of candidates, I feel. You did have that broad field of candidates. Um, what did you make of the turnout, though, Claire? I think for Douglas East, it was 
it was reasonable. I think that there's my biggest concern in Douglas East is that there's aside from the fact the turnout was 40%, I would say that probably only 40% of the people living there are even registered. So we're only getting 40% of 40%, so it's actually even worse. And that's something I'd really like to get my, you know, get to grips with while I'm uh, in, in uh, the Keys and actually going out canvassing throughout the term, not just those people who are on the electoral register, but those people who aren't as well, because obviously they are also being represented. And I think those people are so disenfranchised, some of them aren't aware they can vote, some of them just simply have chosen not to put their names on the register. And I think that's something we really have to be aware of, and we have to say, actually, where are we failing? And we have to identify that and work out how we can move forward. Claire Betterson, MHK, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Best of luck with the next five years, and uh, just go and have a lie down. Thank you very much, Beth and Christy. And our guest this afternoon is from a pretty crafty background, but it was when she went to university and saw a girl knitting with the biggest pair of needles she'd ever seen that her casual interest became serious. Um, Granny Sheard, what was it about those needles? I just thought um, they looked so... It just looks so chunky. I mean, you think of knitting as being quite old-fashioned, and there are really beautiful, like, vintage patterns, but you see it in a sort of more modern context. It makes you think, actually just requires a bit more imagination it can, it can really you can really do great stuff with it i've just got this great image of this girl with huge needles and just sort of like you can't even see her face <laughs> what do you make with huge knitting needles i guess you could make a really beautiful rug for your floor that would be really nice or um the biggest cardigan ever you could just swamp huge yourself huge cardigan <laughs> for the entire isle of man for winter yeah. <laughs> but actually granny knitting isn't your real passion it's crochet why mm. is that yeah, well, uh, I've been knitting for years, but uh, I learned to crochet about five years ago and, and instantly took to it and just thought, you know what, this is amazing. It just grows so much quicker than knitting does. You can be there for rows and rows and rows, but crochet, I don't know, something about it, it just it just suddenly appears before your eyes. It's like witchcraft. <laughs> and you, we mentioned university, which is where you sort of started being really, really crafty, mm-hmm. but you were really homesick when you went to university. And it's quite yeah. poignant thinking about this now because so many students from the Isle of Man are heading off for the first time. And while it can be an amazing experience, it's a really big mm. change, isn't it? Yeah, I can't... Um, recommend going to university enough it really does just help you have a different perspective but I can't lie I did really struggle in first and second year I was really homesick I'm I'm the youngest um out of all my siblings and the other man's a really great place to to grow up and you sort of take a lot for granted really and you go over to a big scary city and it's a bit of a shock to the system but I'm really glad I persevered because I feel so much tougher now and I love the Isle of Man even more for it. So. And yeah. what was it that got you through it, do you think? It was definitely joining the Knitting Society, doing knitting and crochet because I was I was quite sort of anxious and wouldn't go out a lot in first and second year, you know, just stay in because I'd just be so nervous and low self-esteem. But if you sit at home and, you, you know, you've got Netflix on and you're doing some crochet and knitting, it makes you feel really productive and like you've still achieved something in the day. So it, it w- did really help. There's a really good hashtag on um, Instagram. It's craft as therapy. And I think loads of people are starting to realise the sort of importance of of that to mental health really okay uh we are also joined in the studio by uh, jenny quirk and neil king this afternoon because south pacific starts on october the 18th it's in association with manx radio but uh, now jenny quirk and neil king take it away 
I went and washed that man right out of my hair. I went and washed that man right out of my hair. I went and washed that man right out of my hair and sent him on his way. I went and washed that man right out of my hair. I went and washed that man right out of my hair. I went and washed that man right out of my hair and sent him on his way. Thank you so much for downloading the Women Today podcast. As ever, if there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show or something you think we should be talking about, then we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via email. It's womentoday at manxradio.com or you can go to the Women Today Facebook page, like and follow the page while you're there or we're also on Twitter. It's at MRWomenToday. Until next time, goodbye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.